Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engearment.com podcast. We're really excited to have back our very first guest and a, a good friend of mine, Raphael Peace. Good to see you, brother. How are you? Likewise, I'm doing great. A little bit uh, just tired, just yeah. flew in, So You get up at like three or four this morning? I went to bed at two and I woke up at four. So. That's not even sleeping. It's not sleeping. It's Gosh, that's horrible. So you are in Lane over in Denver. Just got done having brunch, and uh, you're on your way to Chile? Yeah, I'm going down to Chile for various reasons, seeing mm-hmm. family, finishing up these two films, doing a pilot for a TV show, and a lot of environmental and political justice kind of things. The country's in meltdown situation, so. Yeah, we need to talk about that, because over brunch, you're blowing my mind. Like, this week alone, you think it might be a coup or taking the government? Um, I didn't say that. No, okay, I'll say it. It's uh, 50-50, 50-50 from what I'm hearing, but you never wow. know until it happens. Right, right. But the fact that people are even bringing it up is scary, and the fact that the military and the police officers are out in the streets with guns shooting at people trying to protect just the environment, I think it just it's wild. That doesn't happen in most places. No. I, in America, I mean, we see stuff when we get kind of uh, feel outraged, but I've never seen something that extreme. Yeah, for, um, what, 140 days in a row. So it's been months. Wow. Yeah. So you're going down to Chile to um, promote your two movies? Um, Not promote, just to see how the editing process is going on. We were supposed to, we were shooting for March, mid-March delivery date, but the films are doing a lot better than we all expected. We went through all the footage, interviews, and everything is very dramatic and mm-hmm. well filmed and well directed so we're going to take our time to give the the art the passion and love it deserves mm-hmm. um but you know i will have tr- uh, private trailers for march uh, for the film festivals i have to go to and talk about the projects but uh the films will be coming out fall of 2020 wonderful yeah. very excited to see that and uh good on you guys to go and let the films uh Get the attention they deserve to make more production out of it. You can't rush that kind no, of stuff. No. no. So, okay, can you tell the listeners and readers and viewers more about your movies? So this past summer for the Northern Hemisphere or winter for the Southern Hemisphere, I was down in Chile for about seven months, and the film Tupungatu is a full-length feature documentary, which it's a volcano. It's 21,555 feet and no one's ever done it in winter. No one's ever skied or snowboarded it. Whatever, we did it. It was a huge mess. The mountains are private from the corporate greed, political corruption. So it took me months to get just like access. I had to say we were doing the research study and working for the government, which I got in a lot of trouble because I never completed my government agreement. Oh. They were asking for a lot. They were asking for rights to every footage. They were asking for me to give talks at the parliament. They were asking for a lot of stuff. And I'm like, hey, you guys have made it super difficult for the last three years for me to get on this peak. And this is my this was my fourth attempt. Mm-hmm. And it's just been the battle, you know, like climbing the volcano alone. It's tough. We went seven people deep, um, 740 pounds of gear, no machinery no helicopters all human powered 100 percent human power no porters nothing and we carried all that weight gear and weight out and it was terrible we did uh 
I don't know how much vertical feed, but it was like over 60,000 feet, I think, over 140 miles, all human powered. Oh my God. Terrible, you know? And um, it's, it's that kind of documentary, like the, the whole purpose of it for me, the first couple of years of trying to climb this peak was a personal obsession of, you know, conquer and like be the number one, first ascent, first descent, mm -hmm. like super bro -y. And I just realized like, who cares about that? Good for like you. the people who care are just the they have the wrong mindset and then it started transitioning into like a land rights and water rights uh kind of summit you know go climb just to bring attention to the area mm -hmm. and then it turned into like hey let's protect this place the the land was taken from the military back to public land uh public lands and in public hands and i saw this opportunity like let's go climb it now show the world and the Chilean people, what this place even looks like. There's no photos, there's no info, there's no trails, there's nothing. Wow. So we were the first people to document the whole place, you know, big, many 20,000 foot peaks, insane everything, yeah. just wildlife. The whole thing was just incredible. I've never seen any, any place like that in my life. And um, the whole idea was just go out there, climb it just to bring attention. No one's gonna care if we just go hiking for mm -hmm. three weeks. But if we achieve to create a new route in midwinter, snowboard and ski descent from such a high peak mm -hmm. in the whole world is kind of unheard of. And um, successfully doing it is, is crazy. So we kind of use that to bring attention to the whole conservation part of the, of the project. And, um, you know, it worked out and the film has brought a lot of attention so far and it hasn't even been released. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Like we're trying to, protect this place, created a national park that's 410,000 acres in the middle of the biggest city in South America, well, Western South America, Santiago, Chile. And we're going up against some of the biggest multinational corporations in the mining world and hydroelectric world. And like, it's straight out of a mob movie. Like yeah. you get, I've, I've gotten so many death threats. I've gotten so many, I've had so many weird experiences and been targeted on the airports, been targeted in the city going out to restaurants and all this, this crazy oh. stuff, which I haven't told like my close friends and family because it is scary, especially yeah. with the political situation in Chile. A lot of environmentalists have been killed. A lot of people have been kidnapped and have been missing for months now. So I, I kind of have to lay low and be careful what I say. I've been banned yes. on a couple of TV channels and um, it's been crazy. I, I never thought it was going to become such a intense political like straight out of a hollywood movie kind of yeah. thing but it happens so fast from one day to the other one day you're climbing snowboarding a peak doing tv interviews and uh, meeting with um some of the best scientists and activists in latin america for interviews for the project and next thing you know you're at the protest almost every day talking to tv channels and next thing you know you're have a huge target from the military the politicians the corporate uh, corporate people and you know, at the end of the day, we're just trying to protect the mountains and give everyone access yeah. to mountains that are already in public hands, but the gate is owned by um, private European companies. So uh, we're just trying to fix the situation, protect the glaciers, the water for six million people. We're not trying to become a radical group of changing the world. We just want to see things be normal, you know? I think that's a very noble mission and it makes complete sense no matter how you view, you know, politics and everything you're fighting a good fight yeah it's not about being right left up or down no. or whatever color race religion rights. it's like just let people 
do what they're meant to do, which is explore when they want to. Mm -hmm. Not saying it's what everyone wants to do, but just have it as an option instead of exploiting the whole area and contaminating the water. Like the benefits are so big economically, healthy, health wise mm -hmm. for the ecosystem and for the people that it just blows my mind that it's even the question. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about you and I and like, why is this even having the opposition at all? Yeah. But, but it's, it's a reality. Like this, this Chile is just like one example. This happens in the U S they're mm -hmm. auctioning part of, uh, some national monument in Utah right now and all these other things in Canada. And I don't know. It, the list goes on forever and it's just, it just blows my mind. But my idea is like, yeah, I'd love to do this in the U S but let's start somewhere where I know everyone in the government. I know mm -hmm. all the, the people. It's a smaller country. It's easier to do something there. But the idea is to create a domino effect change where if I fail, me and my team fail, me and the community fail mm -hmm. at doing this, maybe the best case, the worst case scenario is um, we cr create a domino effect where other people in the world see like, hey, these guys busted their balls to do this. They failed. But everyone knows about the place now and they know what's happening and maybe we could do this in our own backyard. Right. You know what? And I've known you for, I think, what, four years now. And I, I, I was watching you as you're, you're graduating from CU. You're passionate. And your first movie, uh, Yugen, is amazing. Uh, did you ever think you would be here now fighting to make a national park in Chile? You know, I, uh, I haven't really changed since I was a kid. Like, you could ask my parents. They always yeah. thought I was the most stubborn, ambitious person in the world. Ambitious, but, yeah. Um, I just never thought the whole film would be a side of things. I thought me, the media, the TV, the news, and radio would just show what's actually happening. And I guess I was no. just me being naive, really. But uh, the whole film is just an excuse to show people the beauty and the reality of what's going on. Like, we're not only interviewing and documenting, like, the beauty and, like, what we want. We're also showing the other side of things. Like, hey, maybe, like, this mine could bring a lot of jobs to the people. But then we're interviewing like economists and these extremely professional PhD uh, individuals who tell us about like, yeah, if we put the mine here, the GDP will go up significantly in the country, mm -hmm. but only for a decade. And then it crashes. You have oh. economic um, decay in the whole, the whole country. And in exchange, like if we create a national park, it'll be the biggest in the country, essentially mm. for tourism, bigger than Torres Alpine. And, you know, it's 40 miles from the capital um, and the airport. So you could go airport in 50 minutes, you're at this beautiful national park, so much money and then now biggest peaks in the world for elevation gain. Like Himalayas are great, but the plateaus at 18,000 feet here, you're starting at 7,000 feet and you're going up to 22. Yeah. So it's a very different thing. You don't need to have that kind of preparedness to go to the Himalayas for months here. You just show up from the boat if you want in the Bahamas and you can start off slowly at 7,000 feet and work your way up to 22. And if that's your goal, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that, that's bad put it in good context for, for me at least. Yeah. Imagine like for people here in Colorado, you fly into Denver and then within 45 minutes, you're up doing a major objective. Same thing. Yeah. Wow. And it's like, if you don't want to explore the rest of the country, it's like, you got that right there. And for the Chilean people, it's a very elitist mindset to say, hey, like, I live in this city where I could see these huge peaks 40 miles from my house, mm -hmm. but there's no access to it. So I got to save up 
t thousands of dollars for planes, hotels, car rentals, whatever, and go to the Patagonia. And like maybe 1% of the population can afford that. So it's wow. like you have 99% of the people who have in the country that's super narrow where the beach is only an hour and a half one way and the mountains are an hour and a half the other way that haven't ever been to either because of how inaccessible it is financially and it's all privatized. Oh my goodness. So I'm not trying to like change the country and sure, like sure. be the hero and whatever. I just want people to have the same opportunities that I have had where I could just go wherever I want, whenever I want. Mm -hmm. And it's not even the money thing. It's just a, an opportunity thing. I've been able to see and view the, the mountains in a different way where I don't need a trail, mm -hmm. but most people don't have that experience where they could go off trail and go wherever they want and like figure it out. Some people need uh, park rangers, they need like a bathroom system, they need trail systems, they need like, you know, assistance out there. So, you know, it's, it's a benefit in a billion ways. And oh, yeah. it's just so frustrating. So kind of going down there to finish those films and um, kind of promote the new constitution that's going to be going in place in April. Oh, wow. Which is like, there's a million reasons the country's falling apart. You know, the, there's no social security, there's no... The educational system's messed up. Minimum wage is two dollars and fifty cents an hour, but gas is ten dollars a gallon. Cucumbers like three dollars. So you have like these huge inequalities. It's the most unequal country in the world. But beyond that, it's like I'm just going there. The I can't really talk much in that sense because mm -hmm. I am fortunate enough to where I could work in the U.S. and make different kind of salary. But I'm just going out there to promote a greener constitution where people have more environmental rights, mm -hmm. more human rights for the environment and vice versa. And just give people the access like, hey, if you want to go to the beach over the weekend or the mountains with your family, like it's there as an option instead of the polar opposite where they're taking the water and land away and contaminating it. Oh. So, yeah. You know, it, it, it's these kinds of conversations with um, people outside of America that really help give me and hopefully the listeners and viewers better empathy and context for the resources we have and probably take it for granted, you know? Yeah, but it's it's all relative. Like the U.S. is a massive country of almost mm -hmm. 400 million people here and the, the land is immense. It goes mm -hmm. on forever. But the U.S. has its fair share of environmental problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Oh, that's, that's crazy. Um, so can you talk about the people that were on your movies with you? Well, that, that was the Tupungatu film. Sorry, the yeah. answer took forever. But <laughs> the other one we did was Corcovado. I don't know if you guys have seen 180 Degrees South with yes. um, Yvonne Chouinard, I believe, yep. Jimmy Chin and all those other guys. Mm -hmm. When I was out in Tupungatu, this guy, Eric Ropke, I hired him to come be like a filmer slash mountaineer partner. Like, dude's a mule he's a big strong dude mm -hmm. i hope he's listening because he's a rad guy and you know you get to talking you spend 21 days in the tent together you you watch all the office episodes you can you say all the <laughs> shitty jokes a million times like you yeah. do everything yeah at least a million times and then he's like oh so what other peaks have you climbed out here you know we want to do all the volcanoes on the ring of fire there's a billion volcanoes and then I started telling him about Corcovado, the one that I did. And he's like, oh, I watched 180 degrees south. And that's the peak they were trying to do. And they mm -hmm. failed. Um, and I told him, like, hey, I tried it two years ago. And he's like, no way. Like, 
told me all his childhood dreams about it and how it's changed his career. And he, Eric has dedicated the last couple of years of just being a dirtbag filmer and yeah. being a dirtbag mountaineer. And he's, he's achieving it, which is super cool. But he was telling me about it. I'm like, all right, well, we just need a little bit of cash and we'll go do it how we do everything with little cash and a lot of motivation. I like that. And um, I, w- I said that jokingly because we were on like a 20-day expedition and the last thing I want to do was go back to back on another extremely gnarly one, yeah. which was only 10 days long, but still like extreme in every aspect of it. And we got the funding and I was like, fuck, this is happening. I was there two years ago and it was one of the worst trips of my life. And I didn't really tell them directly how bad it was because I didn't want to ruin their experience. And uh, we went, you know, and that film is, I don't know how to explain it. It's supposed to be adventure with purpose, but realistically it's just humans facing every single objective hazard possible. We had, uh, we took a little dinghy boat, I'm talking 20 feet out into the Pacific Ocean in the storm. Sounds like a great and it, idea. And it took uh, like two and a half hours in the mild, like nice weather day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you got big waves that you have to get wet getting off the boat into the island. Jungles, swamps full of leeches, ice fall, um, big, strong Patagonian winds, avalanches, rock fall, steep, steep snow and ice, like 70 degrees climbing. And that's just part of it. Rain, it rains so much, like inches it sounds miserable. Every day, hypothermia, whatever, all of that. And then on the way out, the two-hour boat, boat ride took us like uh, six hours. The waves in the ocean were bigger than the boat. I got hit by the boat getting into the oh. ocean to grab the rope. My phone went flying, my gear. I had an 80-pound backpack. You know, the whole fucking place was messed up. <laughs> Steep creeks, big boulders. Like, I'm talking about 100-pound boulders covered in slime that you have to hold on to with your life. And half of them fell out because the soil is so wet that you look down and it's like a 40 foot drop off into the riverbed and like you fall, you break your leg, you die there. Yeah. And it's, that was literally a game of luck and praying to every single God that I could remember from, (laughs) from whatever TVs and books I've read. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know how we made it out of that one, but we achieved the highest skiable point. We didn't summit because we're not the world's best mountaineers. Sure. You can't do it in sense. There's been like six expeditions out there. Only three have succeeded. I'm talking about like in all of history and like wow. two of my buddies' expeditions succeeded and they're, I have so much respect for them. They're extremely talented ice climbers. And then they're like, oh, you guys are taking skis and snowboards. And they're like, what, what is wrong with you guys? Like <laughs> we just went three days in fast, like mm-hmm. super lightweight gear. And then they're like, oh, you guys went for a week with uh, climbing gear, camping gear, filming gear and yeah. skiing gear it's like you carried four times as much as all of us and you guys did such we did a great job i believe mm-hmm. and yeah that's corcovado so that one's going to be coming out in line with tupungatu but essentially it's one of the first national parks that was created in the area um under the tompkins conservation and uh, we kind of just wanted to mirror the differences between the place that is immense and could have a lot of potential mm-hmm that is being destroyed currently by the mining. So the Tupungatu area oh, that's unfortunate. and then show like the benefits of like, this place has been wild forever. And mm-hmm. like we suffered the consequences of extreme wilderness, like to the dime, like every single thing was extreme and it was beautiful. You know, like we're out there with nature and this is a national park with zero access, but we want to 
find the middle ground. Like, okay, we know we have to make it accessible to people because they don't want 410,000 acres of closed land 40 miles away from an 8 million person city, mm -hmm. which is 60% of the country's population. Yeah. So it's a middle ground. We wanted to show like the benefits of conservation and then the possibilities of conserving a place. So the national park creation. So those two projects will be coming out soon. And then we got another, a couple others in the work. Oh but my goodness. It's, it's just busy, you are, busy. You are yeah. busy. I mean, over brunch, I mean, I couldn't even catch my breath trying to take it all in. All the stuff you're doing, we haven't even talked about yet. So you're going down there to finish up editing and then um, speak. And then these will be released in the fall of 2020. Yeah, okay. that's the plan. Um, I mean, everything's a little bit slower now since uh, these protests. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything is kind of falling apart. Um, things are slow. Like everything's been delayed one or two months because cities are burning. The, there's no public transportation. Which is like, it sounds terrible, but there are the consequences of having a corrupt government for 30 years. Right. Um, so it's kind of like slowed our editing process. And I, I don't want to complain about it because there's way more important things at stake. Mm -hmm. But uh, the sponsors and the film festivals and everyone know, and they're like, hey, it's like things happen for a reason. Maybe look at it from a different, different perspective. Since you have all this extra time, look at the footage a million times and see how you can make it that much better. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been doing lately and uh, just going down now to go see how the first cut is really. It's not even to finish it. Wow. Yeah. That's exciting. And this is all through Connections Movements? Yeah. Awesome. That's Raphael's production company. Oh, that's exciting. And um, when it becomes available to purchase, where would it? I'm not selling it. Oh, even I'm better. I'm just putting it online for free. I'm, That's the best. These films are so personal to me and so dramatic. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, they're extremely educational. And, you know, I'm kind of against the, the system right now, my point of life, because it hasn't been working for a lot of people. So what kind of hypocrite would I be if, I am selling something that has the possibility possibility of educating, I don't know, all the viewers yeah. and creating a change. So you can translate it to as many languages, 15 or whatever, and put it online for free and so cool. promote the shit out of it so everyone could watch it and share it. You could download it. You could pirate it. You could do whatever you want with it. I, I don't really care Just anymore. Just view it and share it. And Yugen's going to be online for free and like whenever I have the time to put it online for free. Yeah. It's but, a great, Yugen's great. I've watched it at least a dozen times. And so uh, when it's when it's live for free, let us know. We'll let's share Let's see, it. we're March 2nd. So I'm thinking like, what, April's a good month? April's fantastic. April's it's up yeah. next. Yeah, let's do it All then. Right, we'll do April. <laughs> April. It's How many languages is in Yugen? We interviewed like 20 different languages. Uh, I didn't know what half the people were saying because yeah. I, I don't speak tiny uh, indigenous community dialects. Right. And then you try to translate it. You know, I went to see you in Boulder, Colorado, and they have a great um, native program there. So I spoke with the professors. No one could help me out. So <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of the interviews didn't make it because we mm -hmm. couldn't translate them. Yeah. But in the film itself, I think I only decided to put like six or seven languages, what made most sense. Sure. But I have hundreds of hours of like the most intense Nat Geo-esque footage yeah. which i'm just gonna sit on for a couple of years and once i do like five movies i'll make like a general just adventure beauty kind of yeah nat geo film and just put it online for free for people to enjoy but 
Um, That's so exciting. You are like National Geographic, just run around on splitboard and just but different. Dirt, yeah, you're dirtbagging it up and you're yeah. authentic and you're advocating for all kinds of the right reasons. It's more like a run and gun kind of style, though. Yeah, it is run. Yeah. We're, I can appreciate that. We're so dependent on the weather mm -hmm. and political issues. And like the, we go into some pretty dangerous parts of countries or in the world that um, we kind of just see what happens and roll with it like mm -hmm. okay this is happening we're gonna give it our 200 percent until it changes same thing with weather you know you go climb a mountain and if the weather changes on you you don't go home you go with plan b you right. you adapt to the situation and that's kind of my whole idea on everything that i've been doing i like that a lot what movie were you filming when i, I got a message from you on your inreach you're like sean what is the wind speed and temperature at this time of day at this elevation oh. it was like a, it was like a uh, what early, month was that like it was like three or four months ago oh that was tupungatu yeah 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 dude that was messed up we had like <laughs> 120 mile an hour wind gusts i can't even comprehend that that's crazy i mean the way you could comprehend it is you see a 400 pound boulder moving down the mountain because of the wind and you're like oh shit yeah that thing is heavy like what happens when we go up there with our sails of split boards and skis on our backpacks oh, yeah. let alone trying to film in that like there's certain extreme environments where you want to film, but when you can't even hold the camera steady and you can't, it, the, the sound is so intense. Yeah. And your filmers, like, you got to pay them a lot of money for them to have frostbite. You know what I yeah. mean? So, um, and I don't want them to get injured. But yeah, I, uh, there's not really any forecast for remote peaks and the one's really done. So, no. yeah, and there's a, there's a nice article coming out in the Chilean magazine. Um, I think this month about the project it's in Spanish, but I could translate it for you guys. It's super personal, a lot of personal questions about obsession and the risk tolerance. Oh um, yeah. I, th I think it's something you have um, a unique risk, risk tolerance compared to some people. I know the very first time when you're going out to do Yugen, we're having a hamburger and we're talking about some of the stuff you've encountered immortality and like just accepting that you can't control all these things. It was, I mean, I don't want to die, but like sometimes it's just what happens, you know? Right. And it's, it sounds bad, but I, whenever I go touring day to day with my friends and the filmers and neighbors, everything, like I have a pretty dark humor and I'll joke around about pretty dark things, mm -hmm. but it's a very serious conversation. I just have to make it a little bit comedic. So they're like, oh shit, this guy's crazy. <laughs> But we're like looking at a line that's super steep and exposed mm -hmm. and very gnarly. And most people haven't really written stuff out there like that because they're used to doing what the guidebook says. Sure. And uh, we go out. I'm like, all right, this looks good. I poked around the snow. I've been here the last 15 days. I know the cycle. I know the crystals. I know everything that's going on. But we still come up with like realistic plans. Like if this shit slides because of that 20% unknown factor, like these are options one, two, or three. Mm -hmm. And I go from like the escape routes, the safety islands, the rescue plans, the digging, whatever. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I just look at them and like, they look green pale because they're like, holy shit, this is like real. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes it's good to be very real and honest and direct because that's how you avoid the worst case scenarios becoming worst case scenarios. Yeah. So, um, I've seen how my crew in Montana has been adjusting to that weird, direct honesty. And we've been killing. We've been riding some big peaks, some big lines, and no incidents, no nothing. And everyone's been riding in a very different style, more of like 
we're going to get the fuck off of this face in the most fun, entertaining way possible. And our risk tolerance is going to be a little bit higher because we're skiing and snowboarding it differently. Mm -hmm. But we have all these different plans set where worst case scenarios don't become worst case scenarios because we're mitigating everything yeah. at a different level. I mean, you can't compare what I'm saying to the airy book or the guide book or how to stay alive every day book. Mm -hmm. But I feel like our risk tolerance is good and we're having fun. Yeah. And no one's at an extreme danger. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't force anyone to come snowboarding with me. So, yeah, it's, whatever. You need to be pretty badass, I think, with Raphael snowboarding. Like, we were talking about this earlier. Your average day is, like, more than most people's, like, week or two. Like, it's... I don't know. It depends on who you talk to. There's some pretty there's some go-gathers out there. There are. and um, But I think, I mean, I'd say, like, I get out four to five days a week and each day is like an average eight or nine miles like five thousand foot of vert mm -hmm. and um i am fortunate that i have a good diet you know and i go to the gym a lot so i yeah, you train hard i train really hard and i i know the benefits of it because i don't really get tired in the mountains my day is just depicted by how dark it gets how fast mm -hmm. and um you know you train hard you eat healthy and you're smart about it, you could be doing as big days as you, you feel like it. So um, it's nothing special about me. Just have a good work <laughs> ethic, really. You're a professional splitboarder. Professional dirtbag. Yes. With a splitboard. Yeah. <laughs> and a camera. Oh, this is great stuff. Uh, do you mind if we talk about gear? Because we're both like Whatever so you much. want, yeah. I mean, oh. gear's... Uh, gear's fun. I mean, I mean, honestly, the best situation ever would be like if us as humans could evolve to where we could adapt to these situations and just go touring naked like that'd be great hey i'd be into that because sometimes like fuck dude the merino wool base layers like they're great i love it but mm -hmm. you're starting at three thousand feet in certain peaks and you're going up five thousand feet like the temperature obviously is going to change throughout the day and throughout the elevation so it's like what do you wear when do you wear it and you're never going to be perfectly comfortable you're always going to sweat a little bit yeah my rules like so start sweating a tiny bit, then put on your shell, mm -hmm. wear your shell, open up all your vents. I'm talking about like, if you don't have at least six vents open from your legs to your jacket at the same time, you're having a bad time. Mm -hmm. Socks, always wear the thinnest socks possible, no mm -hmm. matter how cold it is. Um, if you don't like having cold feet, then you put like some weird tape on your insoles or you kind of have some reflective tape, something, but thick socks suck. You don't I want to sweat and you want the extra heat space in your boots, gloves. You need thin liners and good gloves as well. I mean, the whole, mm -hmm. it's a night. You, you know, Sean. I, that's what we do, right? Yeah. I mean, how many talks have we had? How many detailed talks have we had about gear, boots, hard boots, soft boots, everything? And I always love talking about it with you because you, you are one of the probably handful of people I talk with. Uh, that really go out and even push the limits with the gear. You, you put like seasons of use on gear in a month. It's impressive. Yeah. And you I break mean, everything. You're welcome to go into my garage and grab anything. Like I try to give some of my gear away and mm -hmm. sell it. Like talking about like 2020, 2021 brand new gear from next year. And it's like after a month it's just fucked. Yeah. And like my sponsors make great stuff. Yeah. But I'm talking about like in a month I'll get out 20 days big days yeah. a lot of hours 
and things just get torn and yeah. it's not because i'm like grabbing rocks or kicking things i treat myself really well but it's like the reality is like if you're using it at its full max everything has a lifespan yeah and i've been talking to my sponsor i'm like hey this is not everyone's day-to-day -day use but i'm tired of using so much gear i want more of a circular economy where everything could be reused upcycled or just last a lot longer like spend a little bit more money making more durable stuff and then we won't have to buy new jackets every year we won't have to use as much and consume so much so that's what uh, i've been working on with my sponsors lately just making more eco-sustainable resistance gnarly gear yeah for the average user or for the guy who doesn't have anything else to do but splitboard every day so can you mention what the, that certain product is you're working on um there's a couple but the the one i'm most excited about is gordini gloves we're working on the signature series glove line something that we are collaborating on um and kind of working on with nonprofits ngos so they get a percentage of the sales thinking more of like a conservation land rights um nonprofit. so if you guys have any ideas i'd love to hear of what nonprofits you recommend because there's that's awesome it dude. is yeah there's so many out there yeah so many that don't deserve the money that are doing great things because they have everything so i kind of want to help like the middle ones that just need that extra bump of oh, that's awesome. cash flow for stepping up to the next level and doing mm -hmm. bigger things um but yeah we're just very sustainable the most sustainable products that you could buy in the textile industry i'm not talking about just like outdoor industry but fashion uh workers gear everything mm -hmm. um zero leaching zero chemical leaching into the environment very sustainable um eco-friendly gear no animal harming just like every single green check of the happy green list yeah so it's a little bit more pricey but like the shit's gonna last you twice as long as your 80 dollars glove this one's might be a hundred dollar glove or whatever i don't know how much gloves cost but um it's a little bit it's gonna be a little bit more pricey but it'll last you twice as long or and, more and, and i'm all about that you know that's why i like working with like patagonia and other companies that put so much into developing products that are of recycled materials that are more durable that they stand behind and they'll repair you know that's the best right like you want you just want to invest one time hopefully on that gear yeah and i just see this huge disconnection at least from my perspective i kind of get attached to certain things you know you have memories with this gear you, mm -hmm. it breaks in it gets comfortable it kind of molds to your body and your fit and then it's like having to get new stuff because it's worn out and it's not waterproof or it's torn mm -hmm. because of shitty materials or quality is upsetting because one i don't want to spend a bunch of money getting new stuff i don't want to waste gear mm -hmm. and like consume more it's just a fine line of making better quality stuff. Yeah. So So you're doing that with the the Raphael line uh, from Gordini. Yeah. That and then I'm trying to work on like some other stuff with backcountry.com for outerwear and all that. Oh, that's but really cool. It just it's a year to two year process and yeah. I kinda want it like tomorrow because I think the change needs to happen yesterday. Mm -hmm. But there's also the reality of if you want to mass produce something, get all the other stuff off the shelf and uh create a product that's gonna last way longer than two to five seasons mm -hmm. um takes it takes a while so, oh sure yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense oh man uh yeah gear talk each other's ears off about that for a long time but you know what's funny i've been riding hard boots for the last seven months oh i got tell soft me boots that. the other day i'm like okay i hate this it sucks it's yeah. bulky heavy whatever but then i first run down i'm like oh, okay now i now i know 
Like comfort. before I was saying hard boots is a future and now I'm saying yeah. soft boots is a future, but oh, it's like, funny. I'll wake up and I'm like, all right, we're climbing that peak mm-hmm. and I'll just look at my boots from my bed. Like they're on the other side of my room and I'm just looking at them. I'm like, all right, which one do I wear today? It doesn't even matter what type of train, how much it snowed. Really? Like if there's pillows or not, like you yeah. could ride anything with either boots just depends on like what mood i'm in really like what side of the bed i woke up on like do i feel like wearing soft boots today or hard boots oh that's awesome that's funny as heck to hear too yeah that's really cool obviously there's pros and cons like more efficiency with soft boots but the hard boots but they're a little bit colder soft boots are a little bit more supportive i'd say Mm. you know you have that like upper or lower shin support where you don't have with hard boots and it, it sounds wrong but you modify your hard boots to not feel like ski boots and you give away those aspects of it. You know, you yeah. remove the tongue, you have a lot more flex. But with a snowboard boot, it's designed to shred. Mm-hmm. A ski boot is not designed to turn that way. I love hard booting. I've probably had like 40 days this winter alone on them. But it needs to change. If, if I mean, it's going to change. It's growing. The hard booters sure. are growing everywhere. And I think it's just a matter of time till. The companies who are trying to make uh, hard snowboard boots get it right. Yeah. No, you know, every time I go out to somebody who rides on hard boots, I just admire how efficient their stride is. And like Scott York goes out with him and he just kicked my butt on the way up. Yeah, but here's the thing. I've gone out with hard booters and soft boots Mm -hmm. who do this every day and you stay together. It's not even an efficiency. Their stride is longer. Yes. But it's not faster. You know what I mean? Oh. It might be a little bit more efficient, but in the sense of like snowboarding down, it feels very different. Mm-hmm. And like, I could say that because I've been doing both half 50 50. Yeah. And snowboarding with soft boots is way better. Climbing with hard boots is way safer. That confidence level when you have hard boots with ice climbing crampons, you're going on rock, ice, mm-hmm. or alpine snow. Nothing compares to that. I would never, ever use soft boots for anything that's vertical snow or ice or rock that's good so it's like get the tools and just decide really right okay so for like aggressive split board mountaineering hard boot fuck yeah yeah fuck yeah yeah <laughs> and everything else soft boots fair enough unless you're doing like extremely long flat tours soft hard boots just because you have that extra lean back and lean forward stride that kind of really gives you that full range of motion in your leg muscles so mm-hmm. you don't fatigue as quickly. And what boots are you using? The Atomic? The, that's another conversation. The Atomic <laughs> Backlands. Yeah. The Carbon Backlands. The last year's model with the side buckles, the lower buckles, mm-hmm. I've broken two buckles per boot. Dang. Because they're just like right on the lower side by like your outer pinky toe. It's stupid. It's, I don't know why even skiers have those buckles down there. You take them off, you walk, and so the buckle opens. I've ripped them off on rocks, walking in snow, crashing in trees. It's like the buckle is in the wrong place. You know, it's on the outside of the boot, and it flips up. Yeah. So you're walking, it flips up. Then you lose all that that pressure that's holding your foot in the boot. And then, you're, you know, it's dangerous because your ankle is loose, your foot is loose, and you're, like, climbing a rock face. Like, I've had it open up in the sketchiest situations. And, like, yeah, you got ice axes in your hands. You're you're hanging on the wall. But you're not going to worry about, like, 
leaning down where if you fall you die to buckle up your boot so you yeah. gotta like risk it climbing with a loose boot and i've sent oh. atomic a couple emails and whatever and um this was back in august september last mm -hmm. year and then they came out with i'm not saying it was because of me i'm sure they had this shit planned two years ago mm -hmm. but then they came out with that boa thing on the top of the foot and I want to get those boots because they look so cool. Well, let's try and get those boots for you. It, it, I mean, it'll solve every single issue I've had with the boots. Sweet, Just the buckle, dude. Yeah. The buckle is so frustrating. And it breaks the boots and they're expensive. And you mm -hmm. don't want to like buy new boots because the buckle is broke. You don't want to keep buying the same buckle because it's going to break every other day. So, yeah, the Atomic Carbon Backlands, best snowboard hard boots so far. Mm -hmm. Especially now since they fix the buckle issue. Sweet. That's great feedback. Yeah. Well, that's where I'll be going next. I'm going to, this spring, start exploring hard booty more, uh, work with Phantom and Spark on that and see what we can figure out. Oh, Phantom, by the way, I, uh, I'm sponsored by Spark R&D, so I know there's like some some issues there, but man, they make some cool stuff. They I got do. the, I, I don't ride their bindings, but I, I ride their link lever springs on the, oh, the, yeah. the Phantoms. And if it wasn't for them that created that, I wouldn't be hard booting at all. See, that's great. You know, those guys are local too. Super local, yeah. yeah and they do awesome great guys. stuff. Mm -hmm. And they've been pushing hard booting hard. They've been pushing the progression of it. I see them I don't I see them all, all on their social media doing all the tours and yeah. events. And I think it's great. They're introducing another tool mm -hmm. to people. But then I still like Spark's puck system. I just yeah, think it's, it's nice so clean. easy. Cleans up. Yeah. But they both collabed. They made the great toe piece for touring. Mm -hmm. Barry Bomber. Um, so I'm happy to see two of my favorite companies in the, I mean, Spark makes the best bindings in the world, but then seeing Phantom who has also great engineers collaborating and just mm -hmm. making things a little bit easier for the tiny, insignificant, hard booting <laughs> crowd of like what the 200 people in the world who hard boot or whatever. Know. I think we know half of them, but I feel like they care about us because they're not really making money off of this. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah, Phantom, uh, I'm on Never Summer board right there. I have their Phantom um, Hercules clips. I love those things. It's cool because you get Never Summer, locally made. Phantom, yeah. locally made. So I, I dig it. Supporting people here in town. That's cool. It's a nice looking board. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's that's the Adam. I really dig that one. And the ones above it, um, Adam from Oz made. Yeah. A carbon graphite. But yeah, fun boards. There's a lot of fun boards out there. How many boards do you have in your quiver right now? I stopped asking for more gear. I've, I've been trying to change my philosophy and just use everything till it's unusable. <laughs> yeah. I only have two split boards and they're the exact same model, the 157 Western Backwoods. There it is. One is for hard boot, one is for soft boot, no solid boards, nothing. Wow. Uh, so many core shots. Everyone's like, oh, aren't you sponsored? Why can't you get more boards? I'm like, this shit still works. Like put yeah. some P-Tex, slap some wax on it and... It still works. I don't need to get a new board because oh, I man. can. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I was with Scott that one time uh, this year. Got a nice core shot. You know, 70 bucks later, some, some P-Tex. It still rides fine. Yeah. Reduce, reuse, recycle. But, yeah, a lot of, a lot of stuff. And I, I get a lot of gloves and jackets and stuff from my sponsors. But just give it to my buddies who need gear. And some of them have been wearing it 200 days a year for the last four years. I'm like, I would have never done that. Mm -hmm. So it makes me proud of the whole community of like, hey, do you have anything? Like, mm -hmm. I'll trade you something for it. So we always do trades. You know, I traded some uh, 
some food. Some guy gave me some fish the other day and I gave oh, him sweet. some gloves. So I, I love bartering for gear too. It's like, it just uh, makes sense. You yeah, know, I, I don't, don't need six pairs of gloves, No, but I could eat some nice fish someday. Oh, and for I'll sure. Give you some gloves. So. Yeah. Like I've traded for homebrew. I've traded for, um, local honey. I've traded for, uh, jams, preserves, like, uh, bison meat, like anything, <laughs> anything, just trade. It's uh, bartering's where it's at. Oh, this is this is really exciting. I'm I'm very excited to see uh, both movies when they come out here in the fall. So am I. Yeah, I'm excited to all the things you're doing, Raphael. And like, we're just barely scratching the surface on this podcast of what Raphael's up to. He's doing so much good stuff in the world. And um, what's the best way for people to keep up with you? Is it Instagram? Instagram is good. But then the Connections Movement website, connectionsmovement.com. Cool. I have to update it. But, um, you know, it's hard to keep up. I can't even keep up with, like, half the stuff I do. And I'm not patting myself on the back. It's actually super stressful and exhausting. Yeah. Because um, I want to go snowboarding every day. But then I feel like I have a responsibility of knowing what I know, having to do certain things I, that make me uncomfortable. But I have a lot of talks this year at universities around the world, mm-hmm. um, places where I'm going to be already. I'm not going out of my way to fly across the world just for one thing. So I try to put 10 things in one trip or whatever. But, um, yeah, it's great. People have given me the platform to speak whatever I want to speak, speak my mind, and having the freedom to be creative however I want and say whatever I want. People yeah. are willing to listen. It's like... It's pretty insane, like going to a university in Illinois here for Earth Week and I'm leading a climate strike and giving like an Earth Week commencement speech or whatever. I don't really know. I haven't read all the details in the email, which I should. But um, I'm like, so what do you guys want me to talk about? Like Earth Week or Earth Day or whatever? And they're like, you could talk about literally whatever you want. Wow. Yeah, I'm like, okay, cool. So like when someone respects the the freedom of speech that much it gives me like the the feeling of wanting to do a way better job than they're expecting yeah so i've been writing like speeches ideas here and there i want to do like a presentation like just blow their socks off essentially just because they're treating me with so much love and respect that you know i don't have the opportunity all the time to say and do whatever i want so once you get the stage it's like let's do it way better yeah yeah. Oh, good for you, man. That's well-deserved. So much cool stuff, Raphael. Yeah, it's fun. And a couple of film festivals coming up where my movies aren't even ready, but I get to go talk <laughs> about everything. And like half of the crowd is far-right Trump-supporting people, and mm-hmm. they're the, still there to listen. They might not agree on what I have to say, but at the end of the day, I'm just preaching two things, which are environmental justice and social justice. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're Trump's cousin or Bernie's brother, like... <laughs> Yeah. whatever like they should both be on the same side for environmental rights and human rights i agree 100 percent. everything else is just a fine detail that could be solved in congress or with other discussions yeah yeah oh, well said Raphael. really well said wow well i i know you have another meeting to get to um but uh i want to thank you for your time in discussing uh about 10 percent, which you're probably really working on right now and um, I love you, man. I'm so proud of you for what all you do. And uh, you're just a great person. Thank you for everything you do. No, I mean, I appreciate just the, the whole relationship and everything that's been going. I'm stoked to see that 
you have all this fancy equipment now and i remember when you first started it was a little, it wasn't bad but it was just very different and yeah it was very when you started in gearman it was just you and like one or two other people yeah. and now you have an army and i see you at orsu at events on social media i'm like jesus who isn't within gearman <laughs> these days pretty yeah i think i'm gonna cap it at 25. i think that's right right 25 right yeah. now yeah but it's great like all the work you guys are doing i mean I wear, the, I wear, like, I'm going to Chile today, and I was, I'm trying to pack last mm -hmm. night. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't have any clothes. Like, going through my closets, like, right, jacket, jacket, ski pan, jacket, ski pan, like, mm -hmm. base layers, uh, ski socks. I'm like, I don't have any clothes. Yeah. And um, then I started realizing, I'm like, I have a lot of gear, and sometimes, I mean, it's all I wear every yeah. single day, and... I have all this experience wearing the gear, but it's it's just my perspective. So I, I go to your website and I read the posts and I read every detail. I'm like, there's always something new to learn, and, oh, that's and it's very very cool. very cool because everyone, not everyone, but there's a lot of gear review pages out there, and some people just fake it to get the the gear or oh, do yeah. a shitty job. Like, oh, let's go tour at the ski resort and do it for two hours and say these, these boots are great, but like you didn't break them in. You don't know what it's about. Yeah. So I appreciate that you and your army, especially you are just going out there and not testing it once, but multiple times to give people the good feedback that they need. Cause a lot of people don't know what they're buying. They don't know the difference between Patagonia and North face right. or uh, 32 boots and nitro Burden boots or, or yeah. whatever, you know, like I don't even know. So it's like when I bought soft boots, I went Google for two straight days. I'm like, fuck, where do I even start? Like, do I Google soft snowboard boots? Like, mm -hmm. Yeah, but then you get all these ads, and ha everyone hates ads. Oh, I God. want yeah. detailed, like, proof of someone who used it and said, hey, it wasn't bad. Like, it starts bad, mm -hmm. and it breaks in, and then it works or whatever, but yeah. it's nice to have the reassurance of spending a shit ton of money on something that you can't return once you use it, in most cases, that it's going to work for you. So Yeah, it's a big investment. Well, I'm glad that you appreciate what we do and thank you for helping us do it because I've used you as a resource on a lot of stuff. I'm like, hey. I haven't done much, though. I haven't written any review articles, but you're more than willing to pick my brain whenever. Oh, I do. I'll give you, you all the bait that you want. I, I included your uh, comments in the 32 Boots twice now, along with Russell Cunningham, who's going to be on the show next week. And huh. uh, it's fun getting your perspective, and I'm glad you appreciate it, and you've been a great supporter since, like, day one. And... um yeah, that's the goal of engagement, right? Yeah. Different well, viewpoints of outdoors, what people like, for what reasons, and hopefully the readers, viewers, listeners appreciate that. Yeah, so. I mean, my two cents on those 32 boots, Jeremy Jones is a great guy, but like, the fuck are you doing with those boots, you know? <laughs> Pretty heavy. Like, you got those hard boots, you got the hard Phantom, uh, I mean, Atomic Backland boots, mm -hmm. great for one extreme, and then you got soft, like, semi-soft or rigid boots, lower profile great boots like mm -hmm. i have the nitro team tls boots and they're amazing but you don't need a mixture of both because you do not get the best of both worlds you get the shitty side of both <laughs> and That's I, a good takeaway. I appreciate what jeremy's done for the industry he's a great dude pal jones everything he's done for mm -hmm. the progression of the sport but those boots need a hang up yeah and burn or something <laughs> And I, I mean, I'm not saying this from riding them for years all over the world mm -hmm. because I have, and I I love them. I really love them, and I told the whole world these are the best boots. But till you until you try new things, 
you don't understand how uncomfortable they are. Pressure points. I had them heat molded, went to the best boot specialist, everything. Mm -hmm. And then I got hard boots. I'm like, wow, amazing. And now I'm back to super soft, like semi-soft rigid boots. And I'm like super comfortable and happy on both ends. No pressure points. They're both lightweight. They're both flexible as much as I need them because mm -hmm. they're adjustable. But I'm not uncomfortable and my bow is not breaking and I don't have all this extra bulk. Like I don't need to have semi-auto crampons on my snowboard boots on the normal pow day, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't need to wear that, those kinds of boots if I'm not doing that. So yeah, yeah. to your point, I think most blipblers can get by with just uh, a comfortable snowboard boot. Yeah. And be totally fine. Any boot. It yeah. doesn't matter. It could be a park rat boot. It could be yeah. a, more of a stiff, all-mountain, free-ride boot. Like, anything works. But unless you're really getting after it, like, mountaineering-wise, why would you go with a boot that weighs two and a half times more? Can't go full mm -hmm. pro crampons. Is bulky. Mm -hmm. It could break. It has pressure points. You can't tighten it as much as you want. It's not molded to your foot. I mean... I'm not trying to trash the boots. They're great, whatever, but go hard boots. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do the mountaineering, yeah. get the, the hard boots. If you're going to go or shredding. Spring, just spring shredding. Like, yeah. It's fun. You could take them off in two seconds. Like, right. It's hot. You take them off. Your your, your uh, feet breathe. It's yeah. When was it? Was it you're hanging out with Eric Layton and you were watching him enjoy the hard boots and then you were asking me my opinion. I didn't have an opinion yet. Yeah. And then is that when you transitioned? That was like... You know, Larry Banks, Eric Layden, Rance, all those weird old dudes in the Powder <laughs> Highway of, like, B.C. to the U.S. Like, mm -hmm. they're weird. Those guys are weird, but they're all, like, my extended weird uncles I hate seeing, but I love shredding with sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all in hard boots, and it's, like, shit's working for them. They're yeah. guides. They're extremely proficient snowboarders. They're hobbyists. You know, they enjoy it, mm -hmm. and... They do it full time, like with the hard boots. Yeah. So I think it's rad. Um, you know, Ty Mills as well. There's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there hard booting and they're mm -hmm. doing great things with the sport. But um, just try it. If you don't like it, don't do it. Right. You and know? I think it's a great thing like uh, like Phantom's doing. They'll do demo days where you can try on the boots and, you know, like it, love it, get on it. You don't like it, yeah. go get some soft boots. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, Raphael, um, uh, I, wait, I hope no one's too sensitive about my comments about hating on certain things because <laughs> well, that's the care. whole point. Like you got to have your opinion on certain things. You I, do. I get death threats and hateful comments every single hour of the day. And like yeah. half of them, I just laugh. I'm like, Oh cool. I got called a communist again. I'm not even a <laughs> communist or I mean, whatever. I get the weirdest comments and I'm I like, Hey, I appreciate you reaching out to me and hating because that is the freedom that we have. It sounds stupid, but it's like you have your cell phone, you have your iPhone and you follow me on Instagram or you found my email off of my website after watching my movie. And you're telling me that you don't agree with my point of view or the people that I interviewed. Mm -hmm. That's great. You know, let's yeah. have a discussion or you can hate on me, whatever. I don't care. You know? Well, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, freedom of speech. I mean, a lot of people fought, uh, served to get that for us. Well, a lot of people take it for granted, especially yeah. here in the States, because, you know, I've gone to many countries where you get silenced. You either get silenced right away because you're saying something that people don't agree with, especially the government, 
or you just can't say things because it's culturally not appropriate mm -hmm. and not saying that's okay because there's a lot of parts of certain cultures that are very old in their ways uh oppressing you know certain minorities or women and such and that shit needs to change but um whatever i have my opinion on hard boots and soft boots i have my opinion <laughs> in politics and yeah. the environment and so should you so yeah it makes the world more colorful and beautiful place yeah well hopefully nobody gives you a death threat because you don't like the jones boots that much but um, and if they do whatever that's yeah i i love their passion for being right. so passionate on hating on me for hating on the boots like that's great i just had an epiphany i realized i think the very first conversation you and i had was over boots somebody was ripping on me for a boot review of like fitwell or something and then you jumped in and oh facebook yeah, yeah. i love fucking with people yeah. they take it too seriously it's they like, do your foot isn't the same as my foot no. so you or your foot's not the same as their feet so you can't hate and say like hey buy this boot because it fucking works for me it's like cool how much are they paying you you're like Dude, people have different pain tolerances for yeah. shitty Fitwell boots. I'm sorry if you wear <laughs> Fitwell boots, but they are why? Shit. You know, yeah. heavy. But, but yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I thought that was. A, and you are a man of your word. You uh, fight for what you believe in. You're passionate. Okay, um, but it sounds bad if you're saying I fight for hard boot, soft boot, it's, right it's, boot. That's you know? comical. You know, yeah. that part's comical. But what you're doing in the bigger picture of the world is uh, is awesome and, and admirable. So. Um, yeah, we'll we'll try and end it on that note because uh, that kind of summarizes you. You uh, speak your mind, you advocate for what I think are really great things, and I think most people would agree. You make beautiful movies that they, they show great uh, culture and diversity, and um, just thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. But one thing I want to share with you guys is something I didn't know was happening on the Tupungatu expedition, but I mm -hmm. told the filmers the. Uh, Take uh, oh your camera died. <laughs> right at one hour. Yeah, we'll do it again. Well, at least you have the one hour battery lifespan. Yeah, that's a pretty low battery lifespan. I'll say. We that's should a do. Bummer. We should do a gear review on that. We should we keep what on talking. I'm gonna do the other camera. The DJI. I don't know if you guys should buy that. What's it called? The Osmo. All right, guys, we're taking a technical break. Technical break? But fun right. story, I was on the flight today and we almost crashed. What? Um, so I'm living in Whitefish right now in the Glacier National International Airport, as I like to call it, because it flies into Calgary, which is like an hour away uh, driving-ish. There's thick clouds over Denver today, like thick clouds. Mm -hmm. You couldn't see anything, ice clouds. And uh, small planes, I'm talking about like 60 people in the plane, so it moves a lot. Very turbulent. I hate yeah. flying in and oh, out of the glacier. I can't do that. But there's a lot of old people in, in Whitefish and Kalispell, like median mm -hmm. age is like 48 or something. And um, man, it was, I shouldn't have laughed out loud in the plane, but it was funny. Uh, the plane was shaking the whole time, and it was 5.30 a.m. flight, and we went down into the clouds to land today and out of the blue like the whole fucking thing was shaking like rain or whatever and the pilot just like pulls the steering wheel and probably went like 45 degrees straight up in like seconds you could you could feel the g-forces and i was like oh shit we're we're diving because i couldn't tell because we were in the clouds and i don't know if it was going down or up yeah yeah 
and everyone around me, I'll just look around. And people are like yelling and they're holding their heart. Like, because they're old people, I'm like, oh shit, everyone's having a heart attack. And some people were farting. I don't know if they were sleeping. It was like a fear fart. And I was like, geez, what's going on? And then we just circled the clouds for a while. And then the pilot went on and he's like, uh, the ACT device, I don't know what that is or if that are the acronyms that he said, but he's like, uh, there were some technical issues with the clouds and we couldn't see that there was another plane coming towards us. And I'm like, okay, well, this, this pilot, the captain, he pulled up so aggressively. I've flown my whole life and I have friends who are pilots and I talked to him about it today and they're like, pilots only do that shit when something is really bad. Yeah. But he, he went straight up and the plane just like popped out of the clouds and it was insane and people were yelling and I was just laughing. I'm like, oh shit, this is how I die. Like I don't die from like politicians and mobs trying to kill me or mountains. I die in like this shitty flight with everyone that's older than my grandparents. Yeah. So, and people are farting. I was like, Jesus, (laughs) why is this? I was like, why is this happening? Oh, uh, farting. Yeah. (laughs) That was wild. Oh no, but what I was saying is like, um, my editor, my lead supervising editor in, in Chile, he calls me the other day. We're good friends, you know, so we, like, shoot the shit, go grab beers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's how you need to be when you're doing art stuff with people and collaborating. But he's like, hey, I know you told the filmers to interview your crew while on the expedition to see how everyone's feeling, their thoughts. You know, kind of like a TV reality show. Like, sure. hey, how do you feel about Rafa or Eric doing this? And, like, how, how are you feeling about the expedition or the weather? Or Jeremy having a hairline fraction on his leg, or Jonas throwing up and peeing out his butthole at the same time. You know, like these fucked up things, or people stealing food, or like all these crazy things on the expedition, mm-hmm. where like it's life or death, and all these very like childish, serious issues are happening. Like they interview me, and I'm just like so blatantly honest to people's faces or on the camera, mm-hmm. and you could see that in the film. I'm not the hero that. You th- everyone's going to think I am in the film. I'm like the anti-hero because I'm just going there. Like my mission is to protect this place. Like I don't care if I look like shit or not, mm-hmm. but I look super bad because I'm just like <laughs> bitching out my whole crew. I'm like, hey guys, don't fucking steal food. We got rations. Like don't do this. We all got this game plan. And it's like, I'm almost like a, I don't know, super strict. But then I started watching the interviews on like my crew about me. Yeah. Like, man, I, I don't know if I'm a shitty person, but some of the stuff they said, I just laughed. I should have cried and been angry and called them and be like, hey, is that how you feel about me? But I just laughed. I'm like, because (laughs) that's how they felt. And I watched like 45 minutes later or two days later, like Rafa's a man, like can't believe he's pulling this off. And then like four hours later, he's like, Rafa's taking us the wrong fucking way. We just did (laughs) 8,000 feet today. And it's like, but here's the thing, when you're pioneering, going to a place where you've never been to and doing something that's never been done, you don't really know how to do it and you just have to adapt to the situation. And there's certain mindsets that can't adapt to change and mm-hmm. they start crumbling under pressure. It's like, Oh, plan A didn't work out. Okay, fine. We'll do plan B. But if plan B doesn't work out, we're calling it off. I'm like, fuck this. We're going to go through all the alphabets and all the different languages yes. until we run out of food. And then we're going to kill the, the weakest link in the crew. And then we're going to continue. <laughs> Lord doing of flies. It. I'm just kidding. We w- I wouldn't do that. But um, you go through the alphabet though. Yeah, yeah. I go through that whole alphabet, but it's I won't go A B C. I'll maybe I'll go like A H mm-hmm. Z back to B because it's all dependent on like how your whole crew is feeling, what the food situation is. If did anyone get injured? Is the weather coming in strong? Is it better? Like 
you adapt to good and bad things, not just bad things. Mm -hmm. And I just saw that in my crew. Like some of them were like, cool, I understand we're adapting. And some were like, Rafa doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Like, yeah, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing for 30% of the time, but the other 70% I knew. And the worst part is I can't lie to my crew mm -hmm. and tell them like, hey, this is going to be great. Like, we're going to make it. High fives at the top and then beers and like hugs, whatever. I was like, every time something bad happened, I wouldn't tell them the whole truth, but I'd be like, this is fucked. Like, I don't know if we're going to make it. This is day three out of 20 days. And, you know, you see the morale go to shit. So then you kind of sugarcoat it a little bit sure, more. You're sure. like, maybe I won't say this shit's not going to happen. Like, oh, this wasn't looking that good. You know, like <laughs> say it a little bit less aggressively. But, uh, oh, man, I can't wait to share with everybody the shit talking that went down. I want to see Because this. it's like we have protests. We have, like, guns shooting, people being run over, all this crazy stuff in the city. We have lawyers looking into politicians, accepting millions of dollars from mining operations to look the other way to destroy these mountains. We're trying to create a national park. We're fighting... You know, the president's people, the mm -hmm. uh, EPA lady, the um, minister of national lands, all these big dogs. And we're interviewing the best scientists in the Latin America, activists, politicians, the whole thing. And that's like half of the film. But then you got like a crew of weird dudes <laughs> on this expedition. Yeah, yeah. Lugging the shit around, eating like fusilli pasta for five days in a row because no one liked that freeze-dried food. So we all had to eat it for breakfast lunch and dinner in the last five days and everyone was in a shitty mood because of that i'm like hey guys if you don't like the fusilli pasta that much you know space it out through 20 days don't just save it for the last five days yeah so i got in trouble for that too it's like fuck i'm sorry guys like some of you guys are 50 some of you guys are 40 like i'm the youngest person on this expedition and i gotta babysit everyone but man it's it's gonna be entertaining to see the shit talking that went down because it's like we're doing serious stuff and it's a big project for conservation and opening the eyes of the world but at the same time there's like some messed up dark comedic dramatic relief in the way mm -hmm. of like you know one of the filmers when he gets upset he's he's yelling for satan for but he's satan. not he's not yelling for satan to yeah. come help him he's like instead of saying like i don't know he's just like it's like he's finished i don't know what the fuck he's saying half the time <laughs> But he's like yelling Satanas, like he's because he's struggling. His backpack weighs 70 pounds, sure. going up such big peaks, 20 days of not showering, being comfortable. And like people were pushed to the limit and mentally and physically. Yeah. And like there's shots where I just bitch at people. I'm like, why are you taking a fucking lunch and water break every two hours? Like only one lunch and water break a day. Like, and then I realized maybe I shouldn't be that strict. Maybe I should be more compassionate and I've been working on that, but, um, that's a good skill to have. Yeah. And then there's shots of me just like, grabbing everyone else's gear and breaking my back, carrying it up and then so collapsing like as a camera turns and sees me hiking away and then just me laying there on their four <laughs> bags and I can't even take them off because I've like slipped on the ice Yeah, and you know, you got your skins and your split all over the place and you got these big, 130 liter duffel bags two of them on top of you and you got a big backpack on your back and on your chest and you can't get up so it's like the people you bitch that have to come help you and oh, be ironic. like hey this is the most humbling experience of your life mm -hmm. 
And you know, you grow on these expeditions, you break friendships. Mm -hmm. Like there are seven of us. I am not friends with two of them. Well, the whole crew is not friends with two of them because they screwed the whole crew over. But the rest of us are like way better friends now. We're closer. We yeah. like text each other. It's like, hey, how's like your life going? Like, I hope you're doing well. And we never texted each other like that before. So it's like, you're not supposed to be friends with everyone. Relationships are meant to break. Yes. And then that's how you find the perfect crew to do future projects on and off the mountain with. Yeah. But I have to say that because I was very entertaining and I wasn't, ex I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah. Well, I look forward to the outtakes on that. That's crazy. But it's true. Relationships are tough. It's they, tough. Yeah. And you were, you were literally in a suffer fest for a long, long time. So, um, yeah. Well, the, uh, speaking of uh, plans A through D, like we've got two cameras, three audio recording devices, and only two have broken so far. Like 17 water bottles up at, here. Yeah, at least 17 water bottles, backup chapstick. But that's how we roll, right? Adventure. I can't wait to come on the third podcast, and you got like a whole sound studio oh, man. with a bartender. We'll have like, finished people with yeah. cameras. It'd be great. Just yelling Satanas. Satanas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I look forward to the third one, and I look forward to... Uh, just seeing you again it's always a pleasure Raphael likewise alright and to you listeners out there um, go follow Raphael on Instagram here's Raphael Peace on Instagram. yeah cool and then connectionsmovement.com I'll have links to that in the show notes and then once Yugen is free I will definitely have that up shared as well Yugen Corcovado Tupungatu we got a couple other very like Alice in Wonderland shred edits coming out which are fun trippy because cool. Whatever, we're not the best snowboarders. We're not Travis Rice's or whatever, but like, we're way weirder than he is. So we can have fun too and entertain people in the same different ways. And some other stuff, like more, some stuff in Africa, some stuff in Eastern Europe, which has nothing to do with snow, but it's a great opportunity to do change. Yeah. Via film. So a little bit of everything for all crowds, yeah. all ages, really. Uh, you're fighting a good fight, Raphael. It's awesome. Thanks, Sean. My pleasure, man. And uh, thank you. For listening and i love you 